Hey, my name is Kevin Clark. I'm the host of a new football podcast called Slow News Day. I want to tell you about it. On Mondays, Lindsey Jones and I will recap the weekend in football that was, as well as look ahead to what's next. On Wednesday, the normal Slow News Day, the thing you've been watching for years, current players, current coaches, current analysts talking about the football world. And on Friday... It's a wild card. Could be some college football, could be more pro stuff. It's a video podcast, so you can watch it on Spotify or listen to it wherever you get your podcasts. Follow on Spotify. It's Slow News Day. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. There's no better feeling than a personal win, and the State Farm personal price plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with the personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. This episode is brought to you by Modelo. What does a true fan look like? It's cheering the loudest. It's never missing a game, no matter what. And for that, you deserve an ice-cold reward. Because you are a fighter, and Modelo is your reward. Modelo, the mark of a fighter. Shop delivery or pickup options near you at ordermodello.com. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Imports, Chicago, Illinois. Welcome to the Ringer NFL Preview Show. My name is Danny Heifetz. I am joined by Stephen Ruiz and Ben Solik, and we are coming to you every Friday to preview the weekend's NFL games. And this week is week 17. We have just two weekends left in the regular season. We've got Derek Carr getting benched. We've got the Packers coming back from the dead. But first up, we have the game plan where Solak and Steven break down the biggest game of the week and will cosplay as the coaching staffs for each team. Uh, and this week, Steven, our noted favorite Bengals fan in the entire world, the number one fan of the Bengals throughout the entire year. Uh, he'll be cosplaying as Zach Taylor because Steven is like the number one Zach Taylor fan on the planet. No, I'm doing the same thing I did last week. I'm not dressing up as the head coach. I'm Big Lou this week. You're just Big, Big Lou? Lou? Okay. Big Lou. Let it be noted, by the way, for anyone who missed it, that Tony Romo talking about the Bengals defense dropped a Big Lou. He said he, it. Listener of the, the show, Tony. Went, all of Tony's takes coming from the Ringer NFL show. Jot that down. Well, except for the bad ones. Yeah, that, none of those. Does Tony watch the games, though? The yes. question is, no, he has to. He watches the, the one game a week. The question is, does he remember <laughs> the game? <laughs> Well, let's move on. Solak is going to be Sean McDermott for the Bills or I don't know, Big Sean. I guess that's taken. No, I just I think yeah, it is. Uh, I could do a Ken Dorsey, right? I could do a up in the booth, throw a hissy fit, get some glasses on. I could pull off Ken. I'll be Ken. I, I want to see Solak smashing I iPads. See, I want to see Solak play Madden. I'm I think not, he would do a Ken Dorsey. I don't get Madden. I've never been good at it. I always I like expect receivers to win contested catches and they don't. I need to like learn the gameplay. No, but that's what's frustrating. Like if you if you like know a little bit of X's and O's, it's just like so frustrating. And then you would do a Ken Dorsey. Like you play cover two and like they throw like a, a go route and your safety's right there and then they catch the ball. And then so you, you two just sound like coaches when they're like telling their players just execute, execute. Yeah, I would yes. tell my Madden players to execute a lot. I was and in I the right be, defense. I would be in the right. Yeah. <laughs> Wow, okay, that was really illuminating. We'll come back to that. First up, though, game of the week. The Monday Night Football, for the first time in forever, is appropriately the game of the week. The Buffalo Bills are at the Bengals on Monday Night Football. The Bills are giving a point. So, I mean, Joe Burrow versus Josh Allen. I mean, this is incredible. Uh, very possibly a preview of the AFC Championship game. These are two of the top three seeds in the in the AFC playoffs. I feel like both the Bengals and the Bills had like a super rocky start to the year, and then 
now they're cruising. The Bills have won their last six games. Bengals have won their last seven games. Along with the Chiefs, these are obviously like cream of the crop Super Bowl contenders. Steven, I want to start with you and good old Big Lou, because last week you said that the Patriots defense versus the Bengals offense would be a really good test for Joe Burrow and how this offense would go for the rest of the season. How do you think the Bengals offense did last week? And how do you feel about the Bengals going forward? Uh, I It was fine, especially at first. I thought Joe Burrow was making throws that I don't think he's made enough when he's seen cover two. Like he was throwing down the middle of the field, the, the throws to Irwin. There were a couple of them. But then the Patriots adjusted. They started making him throw outbreakers outside the numbers. And I think he that's when we started to see him get a little more conservative. And I think that's what kind of derailed the offense from where it was in the first half. But I don't think the issue is the passing game. I think we kind of took for granted that the Bengals had figured out their running game once they started running the RPOs. And I think at one point they were like top 10 in, in run EPA, run success rate, all that. But over the past month, since the Browns game, they're back down to where they were before when we were concerned about the run game. Teams are on the RPO stuff now. And they, they've kind of dialed it back and gone more to under center stuff. And I think that's the issue with this team is they figure one thing out, defenses adjust, and they don't have a plan B to go to. And then they kind of revert back to where they were last year, where they're relying too much on Joe Burrow and the receivers. And we saw that in the second half. We saw that against the Browns, although there was like some penalties and some big plays by the receivers that kind of made up for that. I, I think this offense is in a worse spot than we realized. And I think that's been covered up by one. They've scored a lot of touchdowns. The, the Bucks situation where they turned the ball over like five straight times helped them. Last week, they didn't score a lot, but they got a lot of big plays in the first half. And I think those performances and, and Burroughs got a lot of counting sets has kind of covered up the fact that this offense is kind of fallen back into the same problems that we saw at the beginning of the year and last year. You guys, wait, sorry. Do you guys hear that, that weird feedback that, uh, so I think that's like thousands of Bengals fans screaming <laughs> that they're in a seven game winning streak. Oh, you got me with that one. I would hundred percent thought there was something on the Zoom yeah, call. Same. That was good. Yeah, I bought that. But I seriously, I can hear them being like, but they keep winning. Joe Burr himself keeps saying like the Titans win was the kind of win that great teams win. And, you know, they be, yes, like the, the Bucks game. Burroughs is also saying those post-game interviews like we need to be better. He he has acknowledged it. And I think Burrow, to me, seems like the guy in that building that has his finger on the pulse of the problems with the offense. And I think he recognized them. But yes, it's good to, to win those games and to be able to win when you when you don't have your best game. And they've been able to do that because I think that they have guys who they're winning players. Joe Burrow is a winning player. I don't say that like he has like moxie or whatever. He has like the it factor. I just think he makes winning plays and he avoids bad plays at, at bad times. And then you have Big Lou who you always know he's going to have the right plan. I mean, mm -hmm. it's not always going to work because they're, you know, there are other offenses that have a lot of talent that are going to win just based on talent, but they're always going to have the right plan. And then Burrow's always going to make the right plays. And when you have that combination more often than not, you win games. We saw yeah. that with the Patriots dynasty. And I think they got the same type of thing going right now. I think one of the things that like last season when the Bengals, you know, Burrow was playing the best ball of his career and like Jamar Chase is a revelation and they're, they're having all the success throwing against single high and, and this, that, and the other thing. Bengals fans immediately went to like, all right, Joe Burrow's a star. Jamar Chase is a star. We have stars. And watching the film trying to calibrate to like, you know, the newness of things, right? Like think about like the Tua thing this year where like Tua started playing incredible and then all Dolphins like, yeah, we have a star with the MVP. When you're doing analysis, you're trying to calibrate to the newness of things. It's kind of like, all right, maybe not yet. Like it could be, 
but we got to see what, what it looks like when defenses are doing X. And we got to see what it looks like when the offense loses Y. And we have to see what it looks like changes in year over year and when defenses catch up. Now where the Bengals are at in terms of the of the adjustments that they've made over the course of the year, figuring out the running game, getting some of the shotgun RPO stuff going, the offensive lines kind of settled in, got better chemistry, they block better now. A lot of the improvements are good. Like, you know, it helps the offense, made the offense a lot better. And then when the offense gets stopped, when defenses get them into their bad spots, it goes back to star talent, right? It goes back to the same argument that we had last year. Is Burrow a star? Is Jamar Chase a star? Is T. Higgins a star? So on and so forth. Well, for the second year now, and like this means like this means a lot to me. I like to see things year over year. I tend to not believe in like one year of production in the NFL. There's just too many spikes, peaks, valleys. There's too much chaos. I like to see it year over year. For the second year in a row, Burrow and his receivers, when push comes to shove, are just better than the other guys, right? It's this it's not a dissimilar sensation. It's rather the same phenomenon to like Josh Allen and the other side of the ball with Stephon Diggs, where it's like, all right, well, like the Bills have been trying to figure out the running game, and sometimes they get like a little bit of momentum, but it really like, doesn't work that much. And they've been changing who their their second receivers are over the course of the last couple of years, and they still don't really have like an established guy. But eventually, J- Josh Allen and Stephon Diggs are just better than you. They're better than you for more plays, for more impactful plays, for longer. So, if anything, like the fact that the Bengals' offense is experiencing some of the issues they've experienced before, and yet again, once again, Burrow and Chase and T are just good enough that it doesn't matter. Really, like it's starting to sell me on the idea of Joe Burrow being in that echelon, being in that like true top tier of NFL quarterbacks, which last year I, I didn't believe that as much. And, and Burrow's it, if he's entering that tier, he's not doing it because of like incredible arm strength, the way that like a Herbert and a Josh Allen are, he's not doing it with like incredible mobility and like the, you know, the, the Lamar Jackson aspect or even like Josh Allen running the football. He's doing it. Cause he's just right. Constantly. He just like, like, like you have the stat Danny about his completion percentage, how he's going to be like setting a record as, as he goes through this game. Like Burrow's just, accurate and correct all the time at a, at a very, very, very high rate. And that's what's 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 keeping them afloat when they get put in these in these tough corners. I don't know about the correct thing. I still think he gets fooled. I think he's been better at it. But the the book on the on this team, when you watch it in the games that they struggled, is still disguise and he still gets things wrong. I, I disagree that he's always right. I think he's better after the snap. I think like people tend to conf- like say that Peyton Manning and Tom Brady were the same quarterback. I don't think they were. I think Peyton Manning did his work before the snap. Tom Brady did his work after the snap. I think Joe Burrow is in that Tom Brady category. Yeah. Where he could still be fooled, but he has the ability to react to it. But I, I think when you, when, you get it, when you go up against the good teams, the good defenses, the ones that are going to get pressure and know how to get pressure, whether they have talent on the defensive line or they, just disguise, or they design it, I think you start to see some of those, those issues come up, like him getting fooled by by pressure designs. I think, right. I think probably better than just saying correct would be like, I think that Burrow's decision-making process has really gotten honed. Like, I think it's... it's yeah, it's, it's gotten better. It's gotten it's gotten really, really good to the With point the where... Downs. Yeah, exactly. He's, he's found a way to be more risk-averse, less risk-prone, while also maintaining aggression. Really tough tightrope to walk. Really, really hard to do. And I think Burrow does that at a very high level. And it's just... it. The, the reason I highlight that is just to say, like, in this upper echelon of quarterbacks that we had in like 2021, right? When we were trying to understand, okay, just how good is Joe Burrow? We had like Mahomes, Allen, Herbert, Lamar. And it was like, okay, well, like all of these guys are defined so much so by their physical attributes, what they can physically achieve. Burrow isn't defined by that. But if he's breaking into that tier, and I, 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 I think he is, like if he continues this for the rest of the season into the playoffs, I think he is. I'm willing to like, you know, get on that, that ship with Bengals fans. 
it won't be because of physical attributes. The other guys obviously also have like great decision-making and great mental attributes, whatever. But for Burrow, it's really where his bread is buttered. It's it's how much he's improved his decision-making process over the course of the season. I think he's like Dak. He's like a quarterback like Dak. Mm-hmm. Uh I think he's younger and he's already at this point, which is kind of impressive. I do think Dak is a little sharper, especially pre-snap, but I, I would like, I think he definitely is in that tier or like knocking on the door at the very least. The concern I have is when you have to play like that, because one thing Burrow has been throwing more checkdowns, and I think that really worked and it really helped when the offense was more balanced and they were able to run the ball because then you kind of combine the checkdowns with the run game and then you have the explosives and that's a good offense. Now the run game isn't there. Now teams are kind of ready for the checkdowns in ways they weren't before. And I think that's when you're starting to see the disjointedness of the offense where like at the end of the day, the EPA numbers look good, but you look at success rate and you look at like down to down consistency and it's, it's kind of in the same place as last year. It worked last year and I think it's going to work again because the defense is even better. But I, I still think it's an issue that could come back to haunt them in the playoffs. Like if that's how, if their season ends, that's going to be the reason their season ends. So on the flip side, who do you think is playing better right now? Josh Allen for the Bills or Burrow right now? Like entering this game? I'd say Burrow. Playing better right now? Yeah. I think it's it's probably Burrow. It's so yeah. hard to say. Yeah. Allen That's is tough. such a hard watch on film right now. He's leaving Why? a lot of meat on the bone, like in terms of in-structure stuff, but he adds so much more out of structure that it doesn't matter, and it's actually like a yeah. net positive. So it's it's so hard to evaluate him over the last like since the elbow injury, it's been tough. There's no player who's more of a tent pole right now than than Allen is in terms of like the entire ship is built around what Allen likes and what he does well and what he wants to do. And like it's not that they don't have structure because he still like throws the ball in structure and it works and everything like that. It's just like he's kind of like just totally in the zone, almost in like in a bad way. Where it's like, he's like just doing his thing and it's really, really good. But you're like, also, there's other stuff you can do. A couple of numbers for you. Uh, so firstly, the running game for the Bills continues to be uh, Josh Allen is their best running back, like comfortably this season. Uh, in terms of yards after contact per rush, Allen's at 3.35. Uh, James Cook at 2.96, Singletary 2.87. Both Cook and Singletary below league average. In terms of success rate per rush, Allen's at 51%. Cook and Singletary are both at 42%. Uh, on on true handoffs, on you know we're excluding scrambles and it's just like actual design runs. Both Singletary and Cook are like negative EPA, and then Josh Allen just is positive EPA because either they're like you know giving him like a QB read or they're using him on QB sneaks, right? And and he has so much value in both of those regards. So they don't have a running game without Josh Allen. Uh, and then in terms of their passing game, it's Allen hammering Stephon Diggs and nothing else, right? This from uh, Tej Tej Seth of a uh, of Pro Football Focus. Uh, total EPA added among Bills receiving options this season. So total expected points. Stephon Diggs at 67. The rest of the Bills receiving options combined at 58.8. In terms of ESPN receiver ratings using their like open score, their catch score, their yards after catch score, Stephon Diggs is an 84 out of 100. Dawson Knox is a 45. Isaiah McKenzie is a 43. Gabe Davis is a 38. This team is Allen holding the football and running or throwing the football to Stephon Diggs. And it's not much else right now. And that's a very worrisome thing when you consider they're going up against Lou Anarumo, Big Lou, who is right up there with Belichick in the I take away the thing you do well. It's hard to take away the thing the Bills do well because the thing they do well is Josh Allen's very big and very fast and very strong. And you can't just like turn that off. 
but he's really, really at, at offenses that kind of have one thing they're built on. Think about what he does against Lamar and against the Ravens. He's really good at taking away that one thing and forcing you to play outside of your identity. And the Bills outside of their identity right now are are not as good. So, Stephen, if you're Big Lou here, what are you doing to the Bills? You just double, like it's not as simple as doubling Stephon Diggs. So, like, what are you doing to stop the Bills' offense? Uh, I would I would keep Allen in the pocket. I think right now he is way too anxious to get outside of the pocket, and I would prey on that if I'm them. I would make it so it seems like there are avenues to escape, but I have guys downfield that can stop you, and I still have eyes on the quarterback if I'm playing zone. So that's basically a, a conscious decision that you're not rushing the passer as hard, but you're kind of basically like everyone's – it's more like a slow push than it is he, like trying to quickly get around your lineman. It's kind of like trash compacting him like Star Wars. Yeah, it's kind of like what the Bengals have done against the Chiefs. They played man behind that three-man rush. I, I wouldn't do that necessarily because I, I do think Allen, he's not as efficient by the numbers as Mahomes in terms of like picking up first downs, but I, I'd, rather, I'd rather let Mahomes in the open field than Josh Allen. Uh, mm-hmm. And we've seen them be able to rush three while also still getting pressure because they do stuff with the front where they, they game the protection where they're still getting one-on-ones for their ends. What does that so mean? I, think it's a I feel like the strategy. Bengals have done that so much, though. They've done that yeah. to the Chiefs now in two games in the year of 2022 between January and like well, last month or whatever. How are they getting pressure with three guys? Because it's still kind of confusing. They'll put five guys on the line of scrimmage, maybe six guys. So that that forces a protection check. There's only so many protections you can go to. And usually if you put a guy over the center, the offense, the offensive line is going to go, OK, we have five guys. We're going to block your five guys. It's, now it's a man protection. Left tackle is guarding the left end. Uh, left guard is tackling the are blocking the defensive tackle center is blocking the guy straight up from him. So now it's five on five. And then that means the guys on the outside get one on one matchups. The guards are a little late to react because they're still reading the, the guys that drop out and they can't help out on the tackles. That's how they've done it. That's how they did mm-hmm. it against the Chiefs and still got pressure. Uh, that's why Big Lou is one of the best in the game because he's able to get his numbers in the right spot while not giving up things in other areas. I, I really like this matchup for him because of the way Josh Allen is playing. I think I really don't think the playmaking burden has to be this big on Allen. Guys are open. Just run the this stay in the pocket and read plays out, and he doesn't have to scramble as much. And if he does that in this game, if he stays in the pocket and actually goes through his his progressions, I think the Bills have a chance to score a lot yeah. of points. If he doesn't, I think this is a game where Big Lou he gets another pelt on, on the wall, another big yeah. quarterback that he he figured out which we should note the Bengals and the bills last played in 2019 it was Lou's first year as the defensive coordinator josh allen wasn't good yet andy dalton was starting for the Bengals. like we have not yet seen this this is such a good game dude like this is an incredibly ball yeah both sides of the ball a heavily competitive game with two like pillar teams the afc who have not played each other regular season or postseason since they became what they became so we like a, a lot of like what's the matchup going to look like is kind of theorizing. There's not a lot that you can lean back on. I think that we're going to know after the Bills first couple of drives how this game's going to go because early in the season, Allen was willing to do the quick game stuff. He was like, right. like remember, like his his time to throw was so low and he was staying in the pocket. And then as their offensive line got banged up. Allen's, I think, started to devolve a little bit and 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 scramble more. And, he, and this is his best season as a scrambler, too. So I think he's also realized, like, oh, this is really valuable that I can do this. Mitch Morse, full go at practice, expected to play for this game, back from the concussion protocol. Critically, Stephon Diggs out with an illness. I don't know what that situation is, but if Diggs can't go, good night. They need him. But if, if Mitch Morse is back 
and Allen can get in the first couple of a couple of drives when the the Bengals send a pressure look or they fake a pressure look and then drop the guys. If he can get the ball out quickly from the pocket to Isaiah McKenzie and McKenzie pays him off with that with a catch and a first down, gets the ball out quickly to Dawson Knox, who they they need Dawson Knox to be on the field in this game because if they just go five man protection and they go four wide, the Bengals are going to get into those pressure looks. They're going to force you know big on big protection, force five man protection, and the Bengals are going to kill him. Trey Hendrickson so fast off the line of scrimmage. You need to get a tight end like attached to the formation. You need Knox. You need Reggie Gillum in this game. So if if Knox can pay him off, if if McKenzie can pay him off, reward him for getting those early targets out, they can beat this Bengals team. They absolutely can. But Allen has to play the way he played earlier in the season. And with Allen, and like I said, like him kind of being in the pocket and being in the zone the way that he likes to play, if on the first couple of drives, they get got by a Bengals pressure, right? The Bengals like actually send six. They get a sack on Allen. He's going to have to actually send pressure sometimes. They can't just fake the drop the whole time. You know, they, 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 he goes to throw into a coverage rotation, gets a pass breakup, whatever. He's going to pretty quickly become just like, you know, the, the, the Terminator that he is and just start tucking the ball, running, you know, to, trying to break tackles in and playing that way. And the Bengals will give up points. They'll give up first downs. Like you can't fully stop Josh when he's like that. But that's where they want to get him. They want to get him into that everything's off script mode. They want to get him into that I got to make a play on every single down mode because that's when he'll throw his dumb red zone interceptions. That's when he'll make his mistakes. And then they expect offensively to be good enough to outscore them. Uh, with that said, like there's still a way that Josh Allen just puts on the cape and beats him. We've seen it, right? And so like even if you get him in the spot you want to get him into, even if you beat the offense the way you want to beat it, you still got to go 60 minutes with that young man. And he's unbelievable, right? So it's it's layers on this game, man. It's 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 incredible. The way he's playing right now is like he's always in a uh, two-minute situation. Allen. Yeah, he's down four, one minute left, no timeouts. That's how he's played for like the last month, every play. Uh, I agree. I think that's the key to the game on that side of the ball. I think this is a very, like it's hard to predict how it's going to go, but I think it comes down to two things. It comes down to what Solak just said on that side of the ball. And on the other side of the ball, 50-50 balls on outside the numbers. That's what this team is right now. That's what this offense always has been like for the last two years except for that one stretch where they had a run game. I don't think they have a run game anymore, and I think the Bills have a really good run defense. The red flag should have been when they couldn't run on the the Browns. One of the worst run defenses I've ever seen. Yeah, the Bengals, like a couple weeks ago. That should have been the red flag, and I think the Browns kind of schemed them up and got really aggressive. I I don't know if you guys remember the flea flicker, how wide open it was that the the Bengals hit the Browns with, but it was because they were attacking the RPOs downhill. I think the, the Bills are able to do that while staying a little more sound. I think they're going to force those throws to the outside, those jump balls, those those go balls. I, I actually think like the Bengals have replaced the go balls with deep outs now. They're throwing a lot more deep outs. And it comes down to how those throws go. They're 50-50 balls. If Chase and Higgins dominate the the Bills cornerbacks, which is certainly possible because of that's the weakness of this defense. I think the Bengals score a lot of points and I think they win the game. I'm still leaning towards the Bills. I think you're I think you're right, Stephen, that the Bengals strategy from like Thanksgiving on the last two years has been our 50 50 balls or 70 30. But two things we haven't actually mentioned yet. So like you alluded to this, but that Burrow, he just needs 12 passes to get to 1500 attempts and then he will qualify for the all time leaderboard for completion percentage. He will literally be first. He will 68 and a half percent. So Burrow after this game will be the number one all time leader in completion percentage. And then two, Lel Collins. I don't think we mentioned this. The right tackle for the Bengals is hurt. So Hakeem Adeniji. Maybe someone's going to play right tackle for the Bengals that, yep. uh, as has been said about other players, uh, wasn't built for this. So that's just something to keep I in mind. I just feel so bad for Hakeem because he was the guy that playoff defenses zeroed in on last year. They were like 76. Let's go get him. I think he was playing guard at the time. 
And then he got to just yes. be a backup. They improved the line. Like, all right, just like swing tackle, be the backup. And then lo and behold, the Bengals have like, this is the start of their playoff run. It's Bills and then Ravens for the division next week. And then they actually go to the playoffs. And guess who's got to go out there and play again? <laughs> just a game. It just yeah. it's tough. It's just against a line like this, where like it's quality starters across the board and then one backup, like you're gonna get zeroed. And that's 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 just tough. And like teams were attacking uh, Collins in protection already. So imagine what yeah. they're going to do now that the backup's in. Tough. Yeah, keep an eye on that one. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. There's no better feeling than a personal win. And the State Farm personal price plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with the personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. This episode is brought to you by Indeed. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash RingerNFL. Just go to Indeed.com slash RingerNFL right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This episode is brought to you by Modelo. What does a true fan look like? It's cheering the loudest. It's never missing a game, no matter what. And for that, you deserve an ice cold reward because you are a fighter and Modelo is your reward. Modelo, the mark of a fighter. Shop delivery or pickup options near you at ordermodelo.com. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Imports, Chicago, Illinois. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Let's get to Monday morning memes and or headlines because you guys are good at memes. You kind of suck at headlines. You're good at predicting the games. This week, I feel like we've officially crossed the threshold where some games matter and some games don't. So this <laughs> week, these games, well, I guess three yeah, weeks I ago, I was yeah, there. I uh, well, there, there was still a kind of shot in Freud, I think, at certain teams. But now it's just kind of like you watch the Broncos. Like now it's just sad. Like it's just sad. So I want to start with the Vikings are playing at the Packers. Games. The Packers are once again seven and eight favored over the 12 and three team. Uh, if the Packers went out, they have a really, really good chance at making the playoffs. I will not go through all the scenarios, but basically they just need the Giants of Washington to stumble. The Packers can go two and make the playoffs. Vikings, 11 of their 12 wins have been by seven or fewer points. So basically, 11 of their 12 wins by a single possession. That has already set the record for the most wins by a possession in a single season in NFL history and historically. One possession games, unless you're like Bill Belichick, are a coin flip, and there's actually no skill. It's kind of mostly luck to win those games. So in a world, there's another world, they're like four and 13. So, Steven, I'm curious. I have so many questions for you in this game. But first, who do you think wins Vikings-Packers, which the first game they played this season, the Vikings rocked the Packers. Who wins this game? What's the headline on Monday morning? I think the Vikings win. I've I've kind of be, become Vikings pilled over the last week. I'm pushing back against 
everyone calling them frauds. They are frauds. They're not going to win the Super Bowl. Well, here's the thing. But, but they're going to be holding the Super Bowl trophy. Kirk Cousins is going to be holding the Super Bowl MVP, and we're going to be like, but their point differential was like, dude, plus that's almost where, that's almost where we were with the Bengals last year. We were one Rams drive away from the Bengals holding the Lombardi Trophy and being yeah. like, well, it's all go 50-50 balls. It's all going for <laughs> But they gave up nine sacks against the Titans. Kirk Cousins will never lift the Lombardi Trophy. I will not let I, it happen. I dude, personally just, will not let it happen. Dude, I'm just saying. But, in, but on that note, though, so you think the Vikings win. It goes hand in hand for me at this point. Like, we can talk about Justin Jefferson being great, but like, at some point, we'll have to acknowledge that Kevin O'Connell, the coach of the Vikings, exists. But, like, Kirk Cousins, because Justin Jefferson was like, stop making fun of him. And we did a stop whole episode. Stop yelling at him on the field, Justin Jefferson, and we'll stop <laughs> making fun of him. How about that? Well, but how good has Kirk Cousins been during the stretch? He's and I'm a, a very much biased Giants fan who's pissed that they uh, blew it against the Vikings. He's the been Kirk. He's, he's been the same quarterback for, like, four years. I think he, he's evolved a little bit over the last couple of years. But he's just been Kirk. I, I, like the stats aren't didn't Justin Jefferson say his stats are right up there with the rest of the MVPs? No, yeah, they're ignore not. That. Ignore that. Ignore lying? that. No, you're lying ignore to yourself. Is his teammate. Ignore that part. But the point is like they are for better or worse. They're 12 and three. And we kind of unanimously don't take this quarterback seriously. A part of it, I wonder, is because Kirk as a person is so like bland, vanilla, even keeled that sometimes I think we mistake his game for that. But in reality, Kirk is and has always been like an incredibly streaky player. Right. And he's like an aggressive player at times. It, yeah. Sometimes it's frustrating that he like throws into windows that aren't there. And sometimes he's aggressive on checkdowns for some reason. But he's he's Kirk. I Define don't know what else. Aggressive to say. on checkdowns. Like, why are you throwing tight yeah. window checkdowns ever? <laughs> he's the only quarterback that does it. Just like Mac Jones does it. Too. Contested catch to Alexander Madison three yards <laughs> behind the line of scrimmage. Yes, he's the only. He does it routinely. It's insane. He's like well, the no, only Steven, quarterback you that said does that, it. Were you saying that you think it's like hot potato? It's like he doesn't want to get yes. hit. He's like you, you, you get hit. Yes, he's done, he did that multiple times in Washington. I think he got Chris Thompson hurt one time, like, just being like, here, you take the ball. Chris Thompson was behind him, by the way. He was in the pocket. He like turned around and tossed it to him. He was like, I'd rather lose four more yards just so I don't get hit by this very large human being. And I don't blame him, but I don't, he's just been the same guy. There's no difference. Like, the winds have changed. The stats have gone down. It, it's the same thing. It's Kirk Cousins. I'm tired of Kirk Cousins' discourse in 2022. It's it, like It's been the same conversation for five years. Okay, so why do you think the Vikings are going to win? Yeah, did you give a headline? Oh, yeah. It was uh, Go Luck Yourself. And the Vikings win because everyone's oh, saying they've been okay. lucky. Uh, yeah. That's yeah, actually that that's actually pretty good. It's yeah, pretty good. Uh, but I think the defense is like better than people give it credit for. Everyone seems to think that this defense sucks. By the way, the defense is better in EPA than the offense is. Like they're 14th. The offense is like 16th. And I think this is whoa, a defense. Whoa, 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 whoa. You're saying that, but the, all right, as someone who just I'm not watched the Giants it. play the Vikings, like if anything, that devalues the value of your beloved EPA to me because like watching this, it's like Daniel Jones looked fantastic against this Vikings defense. And I, I mean, well, it was, it was one game, but I well, think they're, but I, it's a whole streak of one games where they make the, like they haven't, they give up the most. I mean, at some point when you, you make every team, every defense you, or every opposing offense, you play competitive. Is this a good defense? I don't know. So like, what do you think? Do the Vikings have a good defense? Well, one of the reasons that the EPA for the, Vikings defense has become competitive is they keep getting extremely high value turnovers late in games, right? And so like 
Josh Metellus had a game-winning pick against the Lions with 17 seconds left. Cam Dantzler recovered and forced a fumble against the Bears with a minute 12 left. Josh Allen fumbled the sneak and they scored that with 41 seconds matter. left against the Bills. That doesn't affect Cam- EPA. Game situation doesn't affect EPA. I'm saying, right, but those are, that's getting a turnover is an extremely high EPA play. Right, but that's how the defense is set up. It's a bend but don't break defense, and one uh, eventually a quarterback's going to throw us the ball because we how we play with our safeties. We play quarters and we and we play cover six so we can poach routes in in full quarterbacks. We're getting a little off t- tangent here, but what's the difference? Like, is there a bend but don't break defense as a strategy, or if we're being honest, is a bend but don't break defense a defense that kind of sucks but gets stops in the red zone or turnovers? No, but it's a strategy. Bend- it's a strategy that it's a coach recognizing he doesn't have the talent to play a more aggressive style. Like you have mm-hmm. to make choices as yeah. an NFL coach. You look at the the Vikings cornerback room is terrible. Have you seen Patrick Peterson run? That's turn, what I'm saying. He moves like a rook on a chessboard right now. And then Duke <laughs> Shelley. I I love Duke Shelley. I love Duke Shelley. Look, you could go back to pre-draft tweets, but Duke is a man. Sh- but I think Solak would bully him on a 50-50 ball outside the numbers. Like I like all of us would. He's yeah. too small. So they play quarters and they they're like, all right, we're not that good. We have a good pass rush. We'll get after you and, and maybe we'll force you into a bad throw and Harrison Smith will pick you off. If I if my best player on defense was Harrison Smith, this is exactly how I would play defense. But isn't Rodgers I I feel like Aaron Rodgers' most underrated skill is scorched earth against bad cornerbacks. And so I kind of think there's a reason the Packers are like favored in this game. And like I, I know I'm torn about this Packers team because they're they've been playing poorly, but we have other games to get to, but quickly, Solak, do you think that Rodgers can expose this defense? Do you think that Pat, who do you think wins this game? I'm curious. I think it's really tight. I, I, I waffle on this game. The reason the Packers are favored is because of just like, you know, power rankings, algorithms kind of spin out the number, right? The, the Packers on paper are a better team than the Vikings in terms of like how we measure team success, like EPA, DVOA aside, just like the way Vegas has done this for years. The advantage that the Packers have had over many teams they've played in recent weeks is how good their running game has become, right? They've run the ball extremely well. We talked a lot about their two running back sets early in the year because we were really excited for those. And then early in the season, they weren't getting good stuff out of those sets. They've actually gotten a lot better in those sets recently. They've kind of figured out what works for them and what doesn't. They use them a little bit more sparingly and a little bit more intelligently. And then they've had receiver improvement, right? Randall Cobb's gotten healthy. They've found explosive plays with Christian Watson, so on and so forth. With that said, the the thing that the Vikings do quite well in the structure of their defense is they are able to get run stops from their light boxes. Not all the time, right? They're In general, they give up you know, five yards, but then they'll get a, a penetration play. They'll get a stop. They'll get Harry Phillips or James Lynch or Zadarius Smith in the backfield. And they'll, they'll get that, that tackle. And then they put you in a passing situation. And that's where this defense is built to be. So I, I think that the Packers are going to struggle to run the football. And that's going to take a little bit of the wind out of the, the offensive sales. I'm, I won't be surprised if the Vikings win this game. That being said, the talent the Packers have advantage wise in terms of, uh, their receivers against the corners is tough to argue. And then their defensive front against the Vikings offensive line, which is, is, is banged up and not playing super well to me also matters. So I don't know, 50, 54, I'll take the Packers to be against Steven. Um, but this, the, the Minnesota defense is not deserving of trust that I, I will, I will plant my flag on. I disagree. Okay. In eight of, in, in like 80% of their games, they've allowed the opposing offense less than four points of EPA. Like there are some ugly results. There are some ugly results, but they had most of their games. They've been really good and have kept the the team in the game. I'm regardless of what the score really good says. Not really good. Good enough to win. I I will accept the argument that what they are doing is what is necessary and intelligent relative to the talent that they have. However, they don't have a lot of talent. 
And like that to me is where, like as, as Hyphus brings up, if the Packers go matchup hunting, they should feel good about that for the majority of the game. I don't think Ro- Rodgers is going to make the mistake throws that players like Mike White and Jared Goff have made against them to lose football games. I mean, you know, Rodgers threw a pick into a poaching safety against the Eagles. So like, I guess he can, you know what I'm saying? Like, it's been a weird Rodgers year, but I like for like, the Vikings make it through the regular season. The Vikings are in the playoffs. Justin Jefferson, everything like that. This defense is is a liability in the playoffs. It's tough to imagine them making a legitimate run because of it. Yeah, for sure. Okay. Well, while we're speaking about lack of talent, the New England Patriots are hosting the Miami Dolphins this week. Uh, just a bizarre matchup, and both these teams are in bizarre places. So, I, I mean, obviously the Patriots have had just a really strange couple weeks between the Raiders game and then just going down 22 nothing to the Bengals and just... Pat's in a bizarre place. Miami's coming off a disaster. Two or through three picks in the fourth quarter cost the Dolphins the game against the Green Bay. And it turns out later that Tua was concussed during that game. Third time this season, the Dolphins have seemingly missed a Tua concussion. Uh, and then once again, they caught it later. So Tua is not playing this week. So Tua is going to be replaced by Teddy Bridgewater. And now the Dolphins have like a relatively simple situation where if they win these final two playoff games, the Dolphins are just in the playoffs. And if they lose their final two playoff games, the Dolphins are just out of the playoffs. Mm-hmm. So they're in a strange situation. So, like, I'm curious, who wins Dolphins-Patriots? What is the headline and or meme on Monday morning? So, yeah, I the you brought up the Dolphins playoff scenarios. The Patriots still have a 20% chance for 538's playoff predictor to make the playoffs. In the event they lose this game, straight to zero. No chance to make it. I think the Dolphins can win this game. I think that the defense has played better. And I think that Teddy Bridgewater who we've seen Teddy in two games this year, and neither one of the two games were incredible starts, but in one, he entered for the injured Tua Tungavailoa, and for the second, he entered for the injured Skylar Thompson. We have to remember that the one game that Teddy was supposed to play against the Jets, he was hurt immediately in the first quarter, concussion protocol, didn't practice the next week, wasn't going to start, and then Skylar goes in, and he gets hurt with his thumb, and then Teddy's got to go back in. He hasn't had a game yet where they knew on Monday or Tuesday that he'd be the starting quarterback. And then he went and played the game on Sunday. And Teddy is a solid bridge quarterback in an offense that the quarterback just kind of has to point and shoot. Whatever you want to say about to his anticipation and accuracy and all the traits that he has, this is a point and shoot offense quarterback sits in the pocket and kind of, you know, point guards, point guards, of the passing game. Teddy can absolutely do that. Uh, and so I think that they have enough with Teddy in their passing game and enough with their defense to still be the Patriots in this weird context. Accordingly, the headline afterward is, is this the end? Like big, you know, bold 78 font, big question mark. And then the picture of sad Bill Belichick on the front. People have been talking about Belichick hot seat for the entirety of this season, right? Like I went to go and like find headlines about it this year. And Brandon Marshall was saying Belichick was on the hot sheet, hot seat when they were one and two, right? You've seen like the last three weeks, the last two weeks, a ton of, but like, I'm again, I'm not saying this is a warranted conversation, I'm saying that over the last month that like you go in like NBC Boston and like all, all the, the, the Boston places and some national places asking about Belichick on the hot seat. And the, the nature of the situation is that Belichick on a staff that is entirely his, that is his old buddies and his kids, there have been a poorly coached team with bad execution. Uh, they've, they've made situational mistakes. They've made time management mistakes. And it's not, they haven't been well coached this year. In terms of like defensive game planning and figuring out cool stuff, they've been awesomely coached, but that hasn't mattered as much, right? I mean, like it's they're five hundred. That's kind of actually really impressive, and like it is, it is good coaching in that regard. But in a lot of the stuff that gets highlighted for like which good coaches are good and which bad coaches get fired, 
they have been insufficient, right? Nobody retains a coach because he had a sick week 13 game plan against Zach Wilson. They retain a coach because he wins game or loses games. And a lot of what Belichick's done has been publicly facing has led to the Patriots losing games. And so if the Patriots are knocked out of playoff contention this week, that's going to like, that's going to be the headline. That's going to be the story is will Belichick come back and coach this team? That's what everybody wants to write. So they'll write it. Well, first of all, I'm disappointed in you, Solak, because Steven has used an incredibly stupid headline three times this season of like Belichick in for whatever. But this was a hell of an opportunity to use Belichick out, question mark. Belichick in is good. You guys are wrong. But Belichick out is will will Bill return in 2023. I didn't even, I didn't want to even like be adjacent to Steven's Belichick related puns. I didn't want to be in that family of headlines. I don't respect it. Steven, do you think that this is. I mean, again, Occam's razor. Do you think this is a perfectly finely coached defense that is horrifically coached on offense because they don't have offensive coaches? Yes. Like they hired Patricia and they have Joe Judge. And like, I feel like the problem with the Patriots is they're just yeah, out of Josh people to hire. starting. I think Solak just realized. <laughs> yes. Titans are benching Malik Willis and playing Josh Dobbs this week. Men will literally not run an off- uh, option based <laughs> offense and start Josh Dobbs instead. I, 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 I got bought Instead of going to therapy. Team. If yeah. you listen, this is the last Thursday night football game, and it's going out just as Thursday night ish as Thursday night football games can go. Because we're going to watch the Dallas Cowboys just absolutely demolish a JV League injured Titans team captain by Josh Dobbs. Horrible. I've, I've kind of lost faith in this Titans coaching staff that we were like really praising a couple of weeks ago, especially on the offensive side. Can you please run a read option? So I'm like, this is the first career start for Josh Dobbs, and he hasn't even, I mean, he hasn't even played his snap in, since like 2020. So, like, or I guess he played in January 2021, but like, again, Malik Willis. Very fast, can throw ball very far. I know he didn't run anything resembling a pro offense in like college, but like, why, why wouldn't they just simplify and do that? It's so odd to me. You have Derrick Henry. Why is Derrick Henry and Malik Willis not the perfect combo? I'll tell you options? exactly what this is. And man, I'm, I, the Titans fans got so pissed at me when I talked about John Robinson. The, the Titans general manager, John Robinson, at the end of the 2021 season, pretty much started a soft reset in Tennessee, right? Ryan Tannehill and Derrick Henry are both extended only through 2023. They're both cuttable after this year. Taylor Lewan is cuttable after this year, only extended through 2023. They haven't extended David Long. They haven't extended Jeffrey Simmons. They haven't extended Danico Autry. They are not really committing to the core for beyond this next upcoming season, 2023. Then he traded away A.J. Brown, and he drafted a young A.J. Brown and Traylon Burks, right? That's the model. He drafted a Nicholas Petit Frere, who's a replacement for Taylor Lewan at tackle. He drafted Malik Wilson in the third round, who's a replacement for Ryan Tannehill. In the fourth round, he drafted Hassan Haskins, running back, replacement for Derrick Henry. He drafted developmental players to be behind the guys that he hasn't extended. He absolutely 100% started a soft rebuild. And presumably, because he was extended by ownership, they were fine with this. Lo and behold, they get this year, they lose two games in a row. They fire John Robinson. Then they've lost their next three games. And Malik Willis, the project quarterback that John Robinson selected, very clearly now is hated by this coaching staff because they won't want run read option for him. And they just benched it for Josh Dobbs in, a, in a, a game that like is meaningless. They still have a chance to make the playoffs, but no matter the result of this game, if they beat the Jaguars in week 18, they will win the AFC South. So this is literally a meaningless game. Just get the rookie some reps. Vrabel must have hated everything that Robinson did this offseason. He must really have believed in this core as the core that could get them over the AFC hump. And so... He, he won a power struggle, ownership fired Robinson, and now they're not even playing the third-round rookie quarterback. That's unbelievable, man. And the numbers are, like, astonishing with 
But when he's played, they've run 18 read like option type plays. 18 in three starts, according to PFF. And they're averaging like eight yards per carry. I think it's 180 yards in, in three touchdowns. It's like 0.44 EPA when they run from the gun with Malik Willis on the field. When they run from under center, it's minus 0.44, like minus 0.39, something like that. Get in the gun and run some option plays. Those are good and then numbers, run some play action off of it. 0.4 huh? EPA doesn't sound as cool as you think, but that's a lot. 0.4 EPA is like number. two Patrick Mahomes's basically. Yeah, like Patrick Mahomes times two. It's it's crazy. I this is this is just as bad as the Belichick stuff in my eyes. Run an offense for your quarterback. So we're while we're here, all right. So we're gonna do halftime on Monday morning headlines and our memes. And while we're here on quarterback benchings, let's just get to Derek. So Washington benched uh, uh, Taylor Heineke for Carson Wentz, which that's just kind of like whatever. But I think the more interesting one is the Raiders benched Derek Carr. And they're, <laughs> I'm sorry, it's really rude, but I kind of just laugh every time I say Jared Stidham out loud. But they benched him for Jared Stidham. <laughs> Obviously, it's not because he's given a better chance to win. Basically, it's because of money. And right now, they don't really owe Derek Carr any guaranteed money of any kind. If he got hurt, there are injury guarantees in his contract. So if he got hurt in the next two games, they would owe him like $40 million. That's actually why the Jaguars had to give Blake Bortles an extension back in the day. So they're just not playing him so he doesn't get hurt. And they've kind of just like been like, all right, you can just move out. And so he's not there. He's not a distraction. We could talk about all that jazz, but I don't know what part of this interests you most, but I'm just curious how good you guys think Derek Carr would be on another team? Because Mike Sando at The Athletic had a great point that basically since Derek Carr entered the league, the Raiders, if you add up the expected points added from their defense and special teams, literally dead last in the NFL. Defense, yeah. special teams, everything Derek Carr is not involved in. They have been the single worst team in the league since Derek Carr entered the NFL. And so outside of the Raiders and, you know, spoiler, Mark Davis, not exactly his father, in a competent organization, how good do you think Derek Carr could be as a quarterback? Uh, fine. Here's my thing. Here's, he, he's <laughs> okay. not good enough. That, that would be my answer. Not good enough. I think he falls right below the Stafford line where you can win a Super Bowl because of him. I don't think you're ever going to win a Super Bowl because of Derek Carr because I think his weaknesses – right are just so bad for playoff football. Like, the guy can't play in the cold. Really? The cold? He, he, and that's one of the weaknesses. That's just one of them. That's not even, like, a skill set thing. The guy just but can't play in the, the cold. what about the thing? This never gets discussed, but I am fascinated. There's the perception that, like, for a while, that Derek Carr took punish, like, was bad. If you hit him a few times, he was mentally checked out and scared for the game. I couldn't believe Joey Bosa for the Chargers, like, openly yeah, talked right. about this ahead of a Monday night football game they played last year. And I can't remember an opposing defender actively saying ahead of a game, their quarterback is soft, and if you hit him, he goes and he shuts down. And I'm like, yeah. that's a wild thing to say. And and I, 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 that doesn't get discussed, but do you guys think that's true? Oh, that's yeah. 100% true. Yeah. Derek Carr, like going back to our Joe Burrow conversation, Derek Carr's decision-making risk management process is as haywire as you'll find in the league, right? Like there, you, you strap together Derek Carr's 25 best throws. Holy smokes, this cat can play, right? Like, like accurate. He can throw the ball down the field. He can throw the ball in the move. He can throw it into tight windows. Why does it always look like this? Because he has no idea when to do it, right? Like, and, and when you, the reason why hitting him will mess him up is it'll calibrate him down and he'll check down a lot and he'll get rid of the ball way too early and he won't push the ball down the field and he'll be jumping in the pocket. And then when like, after a couple of drives of that, he'll try to recalibrate and he'll ratchet it way too far up. 
and he'll start like losing fumbles and, and taking huge hits in the pocket and throwing interceptions and inaccurate down the field. Like he doesn't know how to. So he calibrate. gets hit. He becomes Alex Smith, and then he's afraid and yeah. he's annoyed. He became Alex Smith, so he becomes and even, Carson Wentz. And even when he like doesn't get hit, that's just always the issue with Carr. Is that Carr is like you brought up the fact that Kirk Cousins is is streaky. Derek Carr is is, is streaky. Less like four games in a row of good and then four games in a row of bad, but like a game here, a game there. So I guess that's not streaky. He's just erratic. Erratic is the word. It's, it's like he's, you can't set your watch to him. And so when you look at like a team like the Jets, what do the Jets want to do at quarterback? They want to plug a guy in. They're really good everywhere else. And they want to make a run. Carr is better overall than Garoppolo, I think. But Garoppolo is 100% unequivocally more reliable. I know what he is. I know what he isn't. I know what I can get out of him. I know what I can't get out of him. And if you're looking for a veteran quarterback plug and chug, I would so much rather go that direction than go a guy who like, yeah, there's a chance when I go to make the playoff run, he gives me like top eight quarterback play for three games. But there's also a chance he gives me bottom eight quarterback play. And I don't, I don't want to, if I'm winning on defense and the talent of my receivers and my scheme, I don't want to live in that world. So it, it, the, the erraticism of Derek Carr makes him a tricky guy to figure out just how good he is. And, and, and just what that can look like. Now, Stafford was erratic. Stafford's more talented, but Stafford was erratic. He got connected to Sean McVay, and McVay marionetted the quarterback quite well, right? He figured out the buttons to press, and they changed the offense, and they adjusted throughout the season. also fixed Baker Mayfield, Mayfield and made Baker Mayfield look like an absolute right. washout to like a perfectly average, competent quarterback in literally three weeks. And so if Carr ends up in Washington with Scott Turner, eek. If Carr ends up with Michael LaFleur with the Jets, who I think's like got some gas, I think I like what Michael LaFleur does. There's a chance he can hold this thing together with, with really good play calling, with really good, good, you know, quarterback development and management. So we'll see. But Carr, absolutely, erraticism is the word. Is erraticism okay. a word? I don't think erratic. it is now. Yeah, yeah it's just erratic. Uh, I with would the- say like Detroit is the perfect fit for him. We know what really? how to get the most out of Derek Carr, and it's to put him in front of a very good offensive line with a very good run game that forces defensive ends to think twice before they rush after the passer. That was the formula in, what was it, 2016 when he almost won MVP. That's what you have to get back to. So I would say Detroit is the best bet. But if I'm a team, I'm just not trusting him the same way I would trust Stafford in a big game because we know Stafford, Stafford can overcome pressure and he can find ways to throw guys open. Even if windows aren't there, he'll create them by not looking one way and throwing the other way. Carr doesn't have that in him. How much better is Carr than Jared Goff? Worth switching? Uh, he's a lot better. He's better. I'm not willing to say a lot. Well, on that note, on that note, uh, if you look at EPA per dropback over the last month, mm-hmm. so week 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, or whatever. That's a nice sample size. That's definitely uh, predictive. <laughs> I just am saying the number one quarterback in EP per play <laughs> is or EP per dropback is Jared Goff. And number two is one Samuel Darnold for your Love Carolina it. Panthers, Steven. So you know it's and a so good I'm, I'm I'm ending halftime on the quarterback benchings, and I want to go back to Monday morning headlines and our memes because the Panthers, this is so funny to sell that. The Panthers, the, the six and nine Carolina Panthers are at the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, who are seven and eight. And this game could be for the NFC South division, the Bucs. If the Bucs win, they win the division. Solak, in this hellscape, I don't even know. This is like, I don't know, for like football. What's the word for people who like pain? Masochist? Yes, that. So there it is. F- football masochism. 
Who wins Panthers Bucks? What is the headline on Monday morning or me? Uh, the headline is stop pounding because this is, <laughs> this, is, How dare you. this is it. This is enough. <laughs> I'm done with this. Uh, Sam Darnold, that you say, second EPA per play. Since the uh, since Darnold took over for the Panthers, they are first in RPO rate in the league. They are second in design rollout rate. They are sixth in screen rate. All of those numbers from Sports Info Solutions, from Next Gen Stats. Since Darnold took over, they have ran or ran play action on 78.8% of their plays. They are the only team above 72%, okay? Uh, in play action, they're first in the number of dropbacks. Uh, Darnold's got 331 yards, three touchdowns. He's got plus six completion percentage over expectation. They are every button that exists that you can hammer to help a quarterback. They are hammering. It you know is, what that's like? I, I've, I figured that? it out. It's like when my girlfriend's a really good cook. And this is like, oh, I'll, I'll cook. And I'm like, okay, cool. uh, I'll throw something in the Instant Pot. And I'll make something like, you know, some kind of soup in the Instant Pot. And then the next thing, oh, the Trader Joe's, like, you know, that vegetable medley. And, like, I can just heat that up. And it's like, mm-hmm. pushing all these buttons. It's like, I can put together some quality dinners. But I'm reaching into all these things. Oh, her favorite takeout. And it's like, okay, okay. Yeah. I'm handling dinner. Like, wow, good job. But, like, I still don't really know how yeah. to cook. Yeah, you're not a good Which- cook. Yeah, this like, is like, right. No. And, and that's the thing is like Sam Darnold is not the good cook here. Ben McAdoo is, man. Like he knows ball. I hate to say this because I know Steven's a McAdoo guy, but this this is working, right? The, again, from Next Gen Stats, they've been under center the second most. They've been in nub formations, which is formations with receivers just to one side of the formation and then only a tight end attached to the tackle on the other side, which are tricky formations to handle as a defense. You've got to figure out what to do with your corners. You're going to have cornerbacks in the run fit, and then they're going to get Chuba Hubbard and Dante Foreman on you. Like He's just all of the buttons that we know to press, he's pressing. They run first. And their screens and RPOs, they're keeping the decisions out of Darnold's hands. And they're just letting him kind of be like a, the athlete he was at USC. Just like throw off platform, zippy little throws, yards after the catch, and it's working for them. However, they've won four of their last six. They beat Atlanta, who's the 30th ranked defense by DVOA. Lost to the Ravens, eighth defense by DVOA. And then they did beat the Broncos, seventh defense DVOA. Beat the Seahawks, 26th in DVOA. Lost to the Steelers, 12th in DVOA. And then beat the Lions, 28th in DVOA. So of their four of their four wins, three of them have come against teams that are bottom six defensively in DVOA. The Bucs are 13. This Bucs defense is legitimate enough. They have enough talent that I think they're going to slow down this very gimmicky Panthers offense. If it works, it works because of play action and it works because of the aggressive linebackers of the Buccaneers. But I think they have enough talent that they're going to get this done. The other big thing is no JC Horn in this game. So defensively on the other side of the wall, uh, they that's no Josh Norman. We got Josh Norman. Josh is back. Oh my God. He he was like running his coffee shop or something. And they're like, will you come back? And you know, it's like, you know, those action movies where they're like going to like the old man in the cabin in the woods. And he's like, I'm retired. (laughs) Yeah. Right. (laughs) The, um, the impressive thing about the Panthers defense is that they pretty much just play like one personnel grouping. (laughs) They like they only have five DBs that they really actually put on the field, and now with 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 uh, JC leaving, they're in a spot where Keith Taylor's gonna have to take significant snaps for them. TJ Carey might take snaps for them, and that's that's a matchup that the Bucks can get after with their outside receivers. I like the Bucks to win this one. Stop pounding. Enough pounding. No more pounding. I mean, if we're going over past results, can we revisit what happened in Week Seven when these two teams played? What with when uh, when when Baker had his good day, or no PJ? 
It was PJ. He he yeah. got they got killed by PJ throwing a, a bunch of bubble screens, which has the, been the formula. I think this, the Panthers I think traded he, Christian McCaffrey and like immediately had their best rushing game in years against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. That's right. That's because Ben McAdoo, Ben McAdoo masterclass all season long. And we're going to get another one. He, they're going to spread to run. They're going to run their bubble screens. They're going to run their read options. And I think that's how you attack a Bulls defense. And if you could stay in, in third and short, third and manageable, avoid the blitz stuff, I think you're going to be fine. If you can't, if you can't run the ball, then the Bucks are so going to win. Here's the issue. They haven't been a spread team recently. They can, they might want to get back to that, but they've been oh, yeah, 12 yeah. personnel condensed formations. And if they want to go, like spread it's just not what Donald's been successful in. It's not what the running game has been successful in. They've been successful in going under center and getting a second tight end on the field. So it would be like I think it makes sense to try to copy paste some of that, but I think they have to try to do it out of the personnel groupings, out of the formations they've used over recent weeks. But I think that the reason why they've done that is because that's how they've attacked that certain opponent. But when they played Tampa Bay, the strategy was more spread. And maybe that was P.J. Walker being in there. Maybe they've evolved and they've changed their philosophy. But this has been a team that I think it's been in like a game plan offense where they've kind of changed things up based on the opponent. I, I think Tampa Bay probably wins on paper. And maybe this is just a bias pick, but I'm going with Carolina. Here's the thing. We need we need the Bucks to win this game because if the Panthers win the division, we will literally never hear the end of it from Bill. Like, we will yeah. never hear the end of that and him being on the Panthers forever. So we just need them to lose. Uh, next game here, Stephen, you mentioned your guy, Ben McAtoo. McAtoo, my God, sorry. I just blocked him out. Ben but McAtoo's the Giants coach who wanted Gino to start. A prophet in the Bible that you will write one day about the, the, the Gino times. The Jets are at the Seahawks this week. But the Jets and the Seahawks, like, have in opposite ways had really similar seasons. Like, they're both seven and eight. They both started six and three, and then they went one and five. So, I mean, they're both on the outside looking at the playoffs right now. If the Jets lose this game, they're like formally eliminated from the playoffs. And if the Seahawks lose, they're like spiritually eliminated. So, Stephen, I'm curious. You're on like last stand here for Gino actually making a playoff run to Seattle. Who do you think wins Jets Seahawks? What's the headline and or meme on Monday? I think Seattle wins. I think they've kind of turned a corner these last two weeks that hasn't it's kind of been hard to notice like on defense I mean it's been hard to notice just because of the teams they've played like playing the Chiefs and the 49ers you're, you're not going to look great but they kept both of those games competitive and in like in an alternate universe that Chiefs game is one of those weird Chiefs games where they lose because everything goes wrong the Seattle Seattle just didn't take advantage of the opportunities they really could have won that game on Sunday and that was on the road at Kansas City against a team that's playing really well I, I think they beat this Jets team and I think Gino plays well. My headline was Gino problem because I don't think he's the problem with the offense. I think there's been like a lot of like concern trolling online, especially from the nerds who pointed out like the split between his first half performance and the second half performance. When you turn on the tape, though, he looks like the guy from the first half. The things well, around him are just worse. Concern trolling online. You know that you're the only person whose Instagram feed is just like Gino Smith memes, right? Like no one else's Instagram or whatever. Like no one else's. Twitter algorithms, like, you know what the people want? Like 12 memes in a row about Gino's. My Twitter timeline has been curated to make me as mad as possible before you. That's what you engage with. Yeah. Right. No, that's what I'm saying. It was on. It's by design. I wake up at 9 a.m. 9 a.m. Scroll my timeline. And by like 915, I just have like 10 Steven people sent I, out, I hate. Steven sent down a top five Steven tweet of all time this week, which was him saying, you know, what would make a lot of sense for the Lions is upgrading from Jared Goff to Ryan Tannehill, which one was 100% nerd bait. It was absolutely just spoiling for a nerd fight. And you got what you bargained for. No, but yeah, that that's just a conversation other people aren't ready to have yet. <laughs> it's it's a nuanced take that I, I, I wasn't able to 
explain in, in, in tweets. But I did bookmark a lot of the replies to that. We will be revisiting Steven's that conversation. Steven's bookmarks are, a, are, a, are a, a travesty, man. They're just, yeah, a, just like a, a, a graveyard of potential takes. I'm still waiting to unleash all the uh, pre-2021 anti-Cam Newton on the Patriots uh, tweets that I got. I, I actually lost that debate, so I haven't been able to retweet them. <laughs> but uh, I think Seattle wins this game. I think they're the better team right now. I think the defense has figured out enough. I don't think this, I think the Jets offense, even with Mike White, is still limited. I think Mike White is a quarterback who will throw you the ball. And when we've seen the Seattle defense play well, they've been getting turnovers. I wouldn't be surprised if they get a couple picks by the safeties. I'm picking Seattle, and I think Seattle still makes the playoffs. I'm really? picking the Jets, and I think the Jets still make the playoffs. Really? Yeah. I'm, wow. I lo- this Jets defense is really, really, really good. And I understand that Geno's got the tools to beat like a zone heavy defense, right? He's got the recognition. He's really good from the pocket. It's just, he's got to have enough time in the pocket to get that done. And this jets pass rush against the way the Seattle front has played recently. Those rookie tackles are both still good. Like they're both, they're good. They got good signs, everything, but they are beatable. Like, uh, that idea of like Gino in the pocket on a passing down really worries me. This would be yeah. a great, great, great game for Kenneth Walker in the running game to return to the levels it had been at previously. And obviously they had the Kenneth Walker injury, but they this this Jets front is they give you the exact same look. They give you a four down look. They will not change it. So you have to be able to run against them to get them into play action looks and to slow down the pass rush. And if you can't do that, if you can't be dangerous enough in the running game, and I'm not talking just like four-yard runs, five-yard runs, you have to rip off explosives. You have to score out of the running game. You really have to be dangerous. If you can't do that, you can't take the wind out of the sails of this pass rush. And I think the pass rush is too much for Seattle's front. If I were anybody in the AFC, I'd be a huge Seahawks fan this week. Because when I look at at squirrely wildcard teams, teams I don't want to face in the wildcard, this Jets defense is up there, man. It's top shelf in terms of, of units I'd like to avoid. Yeah, this is a game where Waldron has to prove himself in my eyes. Yeah. Uh, I didn't mention this, but there's a funny scenario developing where in, in, in the NFC, the NFC East, shout out, all four teams can totally totally still make the playoffs and the Giants and Washington are Woo! certainly competing with Seattle for that other wild card. The Lions are certainly on the outside looking in. Uh, as well, The Packers, I think, could probably have a better chance than the Lions. But the AFC, it's really really just like musical chairs between the Dolphins, Patriots, and Jets for that last wild card spot. And so I mentioned how the Dolphins just, they just, if they win out, they make it. The Jets just need to win this, win the next two games, and they just need the Patriots to drop one, and they're in too. So uh, we'll see. I mean, the it, I think the Jets would be way more, I mean, the Patriots are the least watchable team in the league. And I think that the Jets' defense, I think, are kind of scarier than... My reason for optimism for this game is that Seattle kind of got a test from a similar defense two weeks ago. So I think they have, maybe they found some answers. Maybe they can find some answers based on that. Cause like Solak said, they're going to, the jets are going to play their defense. Like it's not a moving target. Seattle knows exactly what they're up against. So, and that's why I say, I think it's a big Shane Waldron game, the offensive coordinator for Seattle. I want to see what he learned from that San Francisco game and how he is able to adapt two weeks later. I still think there's like we don't know whether he's a good offensive coordinator yet. Early in the season, we thought he was. Last year, it was kind of iffy just because Russ is such a weird quarterback. I think this is where we figure out who this guy is and how good he is. All right. Well, there are your headlines and or memes. So, Solik, you're taking the Jets to win this game, make the playoffs. Uh, Steven, you're taking the Seahawks to win this game, make the playoffs. Are we putting anything on that for this game? No. Steven won his first little Twitter avatar bet. 
Yeah, line on this Jets for giving well one and a half points. Thanks. Thanks so much. We putting anything uh, on this? I'll, I'll put something on it. You want to? You want to just whoever wins? Jets Seahawks Seattle. straight up. Yeah. yeah, I'll take it straight up. I feel okay, cool. I feel all right about that. Wow, it's so like being charitable. Yeah, I just I I've seen the options that Stephen has for Abby's, and I don't they don't worry me too much. I, I thought the first one was a little bit toothless. It was just an old photo of me with a PFF logo strapped on it. I want to see what else he's got in the bank. That is that a is that a challenge? Well, we'll see if the Seahawks beat the Jets, and we'll see. All right. Sounds like a challenge. We'll All right. We'll check it on that next week. Thank you, Stephen. Thank you, Solak. Thank you, Isaiah, for production help. Thank you to everybody for listening. This is the Ringer NFL Preview Show. We'll see you next week.